to I'm Telling, where we have real stories for real students. Our podcast features students from South Mountain Community College Storytelling Institute, located in Phoenix, Arizona. These stories are recorded live in a classroom setting with just one take. In 1990, I graduated from pharmacy school, and with the rest of my class, we had to swear the oath of the profession of pharmacy. I vowed to devote my professional life to the service of all humankind through the profession of pharmacy. I will consider the welfare of humanity and relief of human suffering my primary concerns. I will apply my knowledge, experience, and skills to the best of my ability to assure optimal drug therapy for the outcomes of the patients I serve. I will keep abreast of developments and maintain professional competency in my profession of pharmacy. I will maintain the highest principles of moral, ethical, and legal conduct. I will embrace and advocate change in the profession that improves patient care. I take these vows voluntarily with the full realization of the responsibility with which I am entrusted by the public. So I don't know if you know this, but pharmacists are usually held in the top three most trusted and ethical of all professionals. And most people have an idea about pharmacists and pharmacy and and what we do, but I think not everybody knows what goes on behind the counter. So patients walk in with prescriptions that they've gotten from licensed medical professionals, and we're entrusted with interpreting those prescriptions, which is sometimes challenging. We have to assure that the patient is not allergic to the medication, that the dose is appropriate for the patient's age and weight. And beyond that, very often there's not a lot of available information in most settings. But those aren't the settings that I've practiced pharmacy in for these 29 years. I've been in facilities and worked for organizations where I have full access to a patient's medical history, their disease history. Sometimes these records go all the way back to birth. And so for the settings I've practiced in, I've had to do more than just make sure that a patient wasn't allergic. I had to review their labs. I had to make sure that their kidneys and their liver function was appropriate for the dose. I had to make sure what other medications they were on and what other disease states they had and had they been on this medication before and what had been tried before the ease of them administering this medication to themselves and the cost, because most of my career I've worked for the federal government and cost is watched very closely. But in those 29 years, the variety of experiences and patients I've encountered is pretty amazing. I've seen patients self-administer drugs in ways that no one could ever imagine. They've inserted things that should have been swallowed. (laughs) They've injected things that were never meant for injection. And they've swallowed things that, well, (laughs) you can imagine. But with all that, there are still some experiences and some patients that rise above the rest. Well. I first got my start in pharmacy in Washington Hospital Center, which is a 950-bed hospital smack dab in the center of Washington, D.C. And the satellite I worked on was on the third floor, and we covered surgery and 
kidney transplant and dialysis, neurology, and the burn unit, and the gunshot unit, which was really interesting, and the oncology unit. Now, in the gunshot unit, what was interesting about that is that the outer glass was bulletproof. They had 24-7 police officers on duty in Kevlar vests, but none of the staff had Kevlar vests. <laughs> now, they were there because a lot of these gunshots were gangbang re related, and they were concerned about retaliation, but I always thought it was kind of curious that only the police officers were wearing Kevlar. Now, when I first started working there, I was assigned for my orientation to the ICU tower. Now, it was a tower because each floor of the ICU had a different specialty. So there was neuro, and there was cardio, and there was shock trauma in general. And once a week, we had to round with the medical team. So the team consisted of the attending, and the resident, and the intern, the medical students, nursing, and pharmacy. And each patient would be presented by an intern or by a resident to the rest of the team. And you had to pay close attention because you never knew when the attending was going to ask you a question. And there was nothing worse than being the pharmacist who couldn't answer the drug question on rounds. One particular day, we were rounding on patients. And as we left the first bed to go to the second bed, all the alarms went off. The patient in bed one had coded. Her heart had stopped. And the whole team rushed over to the bedside and began ACLS resuscitation. The attending grabbed the chart, looked at it quickly, and said, stop! The patient's a DNR. Do not resuscitate. And so everyone was hands off. We had to stand there and watch, stare at the patient, stare at the heart monitor, holding our breath until maybe Less than a minute, her heart started beating again. It was slow, but it was steady. And so the team moved on to the next patient. Everyone except for me. I hit the deck, blam, passed out right there on the floor. I couldn't see anything, the whole room went black. But I could hear what sounded like far away, this high, shrill voice screaming, Somebody help the girl! It was the charge nurse for the ICU. She was on an observation tower, and she must have been about 90 months pregnant. <laughs> she came waddling down the platform over to me, knelt down, waved smelling salts under my nose <laughs> while cradling my head. And when I opened my eyes, I could see her holding my head, and I could see her shaking her head at the team because not one of them had moved to help me. It was one of my most embarrassing experiences, but I learned something. When you are the professional in the team, you cannot afford to get emotionally involved, which is what happened to me. I was so concerned about that patient dying there while we could do nothing that I just got emotionally overwhelmed, and you just can't function if you behave that way. And I can say it's never happened to me again. Now, one patient I remember above all others was a young woman named Tiffany. Tiffany was a frequent flyer on the Onco unit. She was in her early 20s. She'd been diagnosed with leukemia as a teenager. And she had been in and out of the unit 
many times over the years. Whenever her temperature spiked or whenever her white blood cells dropped too low. And the admissions office would call the nurse unit for a bed for her. And when the nurses heard that Tiffany was coming back to the hospital, oh my gosh, everybody was so excited. All the nurses would gather around the nursing unit. And when Tiffany would get off that elevator on the third floor, she'd holler down the hallway, what we gonna eat tonight, y'all? <laughs> Chinese pizza? How about some subs? Hey, Tip girl, high fives and hugs and laughter. Everybody adored her. She was young, she was fly, and she was fun. And she had been in that hospital with those nurses so often that it was like she was coming home to family or to her sorority sisters. It always felt like it was gonna be a slumber party when Tiffany hit the unit. It was special. And she was in and out for years. But then finally, they found a match for a bone marrow transplant for her. So she was admitted, and you have to be in isolation, you have to undergo radiation and chemotherapy, you basically have to wipe out your own bone marrow before they can do the transplant. She went through all that, and it was, it was tough, you know, because she'd been sick for a long time. But she came through it like a champ. And after a few weeks of recovery, she went home and she was doing better than ever. And the team was just over the moon about it. And every few weeks she would have to come in for her checkup to see the doctor, and she never failed to come up to the third floor and say hello to her sisters and brothers who worked up there. Well, she did fine for a couple of years. And then that third fall, without any prelude, she took a sudden turn for the worse. She was rushed to the hospital, the nearest hospital by ambulance. The nearest hospital was in our hospital. And the next day the call came that she had passed. She had passed in that other hospital among strangers. And if she had to go, everyone wanted her to be with those of us who knew her and loved her. So a few years after leaving that hospital, we left DC, we moved out here to Phoenix, Arizona, and I started working in a different hospital setting and had some other experiences. And where I worked, it's kind of a culture of its own. And so it took some adjustment adapting to this new environment. One weekend I was working uh, with another pharmacist. And the weekends the hospital clinics are closed. And the only thing that's open is the urgent care and the emergency department. And uh, I was working at a computer, couldn't really see the front window, but the other pharmacist saw a patient approach and went up to help him. And I couldn't see the patient from where I was, but I could see the pharmacist. And her body language did not look happy. She looked pretty distressed. And I could see that she was kind of slowly backing away from the counter and she was kind of using her arms and her hands in an attempt to be calming. And I could hear the patient's voice getting louder and more strident. Now, I have got at least a couple of decades on this pharmacist and quite a number of pounds on this pharmacist. And so I figured, well, it was just the two of us there alone and I probably should come to her aid. So when I came around the corner and I caught a glimpse of the patient, he was about 6'4", 
unshaven, kind of disheveled, and he looked really agitated. And from talking to him and talking to her and looking in his records online, I could see that he had come in the night before with a leg injury. The emergency room doctor was supposed to have entered pain med orders for him, but had left at the end of his shift, having failed to enter the orders. So I'm explaining this to the patient that we don't have a prescription that we can fill. Well, this set him off even more. His arms started flailing, and that's when I noticed. He had a gas can in his hand. Well, there was nobody around. It could have gone any way. And so I thought, well, it's time to go New Yorker on his ass. <laughs> so I stood up tall, and I broadened my shoulders, and I deepened my voice, and I leaned in like a good New Yorker would, and I said, what are you doing with that gas can? He said, well, I was on my way back to the hospital, and I, I ran out of gas. <laughs> I said, you know it's not appropriate to bring something like that into the hospital, right? He's like, what? J did you think I was going to do something? He's like, for pain meds? He's like, hell, I'm an addict, but that's not my drug of choice. <laughs> well, you know, that kind of put me at ease. <laughs> His candor, you know? Because clearly, he had some issues going on, but he wasn't there to do anything wrong, and I thought, okay, well, you know, we're going to help you today. I said, but you have to do something for me. You have to go wait in the waiting room. You have to put that gas can somewhere else, and I'll go see if I can find a provider who will write a pain script for you. And I did, and he did, and it all went fine. He left happy and satisfied, and we went home without having to dial 911, so we were all pretty happy with the way things turned out. And I've had so many things happen with patients over the years, and there have been times when I've wondered, couldn't I have chosen a more glamorous profession, something that was a little bit more fun? But about two years ago, I transferred to a new job, and it was in a, a smaller, but familiar community. And, you know, I wondered if I had made the right choice. You know, maybe at that point in my career, I should have done something a little bit more glamorous, a little bit more status. But my first week there, I was counseling a patient. And she had a lot of new medication. She had a lot of questions. So we sat down in the counseling room, and I spent a lot of time with her. Towards the end of the counseling, she said, I just can't wait to get home today. And I said, oh, yeah, what, what's going on? She said, well, you know, before I came here, I went to the audiology clinic. I lost my hearing seven years ago, and today I have hearing aids for the first time. And I was like, wow, that must be so exciting. She says, oh, it is. I said, so what are you going to do when you get home? What's the first thing that you want to hear? She said, you know, I have four grandchildren. Gerilyn, Jocko, Jenny, and Johnny Boy. And every single one of those babies was born after I lost my hearing. And when I get home tonight, they're going to be waiting for me. And I'm going to hear the voices of my grandchildren for the first time. Now, this oath, has dictated my career. It's helped to make me the person that I am, 
Maybe I was this person all along, but the experiences that I've had have brought me so much joy and satisfaction. At the end of the day, no matter how aggravated I am, I have the peace of mind to know that I have done my best to help my patients. That's sacred. If you are interested in learning how to become a storyteller, please visit our website at southmountaincc.edu forward slash storytelling.